Let's pick up in uh, Exodus 17 as we see uh, Moses and Israel as they're in the midst of the wilderness. And uh, we're going to follow from here today as we talk about worship. It says in Exodus 17 that all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you will strike the uh, the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is this the Lord among us or not? Now if you have a study Bible, those words Massa and Meribah are translated tempted and contention. So he renamed the place where they were the place of contention. Contention. That means the place of complaining, the place of arguing, the place of bitterness. They had just been delivered out of spiritual, and matter of fact, physical slavery under Egypt. And now they come out into freedom, but they're complaining against God. They say, God, it would have been better for us to, to be back there than to die out here thirsty. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd rather die in freedom than I would in slavery. Is anybody with me today? I'd rather live under the hand of a sovereign God in thirst than I would rather live under the hand of a wicked Pharaoh with plenty. They were contending against the Lord and against Moses. Man, Moses felt the weight of leadership a little bit because he said, Lord, these people are ready to stone me. (laughs) But God says, fear not. Take the staff with which you parted the waters. Now here's the important part that the staff that he was holding this was not no ordinary stick. I don't think it was some kind of superpower stick, but it was the staff, it was the rod that he had planted into the Red Sea when he stuck the staff and the waters parted. It was the rod of God's provision. It was the rod of God's meeting needs. So what we have here is we have a situation where the people have a need and they complain against God instead of coming to Him as a loving Father. They come as a complainer instead of as an intimate relationship. Now here's the thing, even though they were wicked and complaining, God still gave them water, amen? Because God's good whether or not you're good or not. Somebody need to testify. God's good whether you're good or not. Matter of fact, you're not good. So that's good news because God's always good. (laughs) God doesn't relate with you based on your goodness. He relates based on His goodness. He's always good. And He gives them water. You see, in this first part of Exodus 17, we see a situation where the people have a need, 
And God meets the need. They come to their intercessor who is Moses and they cry out to him and they say, we have a need and God meets the need. But see, that's not all that worship is. Worship is not just coming to God when there's a need. There's other aspects to worship. Let's look at the rest of chapter 17. Starting in verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. I just like that. The rod of God. (laughs) So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now if you can't read your Bible, Hur is H-U-R. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, which in Hebrew is Jehovah Nisi. I want you to know this morning that worship is not just coming to God for a need. Worship is two-handed. Worship doesn't just say, God, I need something. Worship says, God, you've already given me something. Mm. Somebody didn't hear me, Brother EJ. (laughs) You see, he tells Moses in the battle of Amalek to hold up the rod. Hold up the rod in your hand. And what does that rod represent? That rod represents that God has already delivered His people. God has already proclaimed a victorious people. You see, when there was the rock in the water, the people said, we have a need. But when it came with the Amalekites, they knew they already had the victory. My message this morning is that worship is two-handed. Two-handed worship. Worship is not just based in need, it's also based in victory. I'm going to have to take the jacket off because I'm getting warm. Is anybody warm? Raise your hand. That's not enough to pass a quorum in the Baptist church. (laughs) Worship is not just based in need, but it's also based in victory. You see, when do you raise a hand? Sometimes you raise a hand... When you have a need, for example, if you're, in, if you're in class, you raise a hand when you have a question. That means you need something. Sometimes you raise your hand when you need help. Maybe you're in a shoe store and you can't figure out what's going on with this lace-up shoe and you raise your hand. The guy comes over and helps you. You raise a hand when you have a need. Maybe you're on the streets of a big city, Charlotte, Atlanta, New York, and and you have a need for a taxi. What do you do? You raise your hand. So you raise your hand when you have a need. Maybe you're at the restaurant and you you need a little bit more fill-up in your sweet tea glass, so you raise your hand because you have a need. That's one-handed worship. Oh, God, I, I need something. But you see, 
There are other times when you raise a hand. See, sometimes you raise a hand after your team's just scored a touchdown. You're watching the Cowboys for Brother George, and it don't happen much. But when they get touchdowns, yes! Right? Last weekend, I ran a half marathon with my wife. 13.1 miles. Coming across that finish line, I was like, yes! You raise a hand because you've been delivered. You've been set through. I remember the first time I, I won a really, big, a really big wrestling match in high school. And I had been beat for six years. And I, finally, I finally won a really big match. And I got up and I started jumping out with my hand in the air. You know why? Because I, I, I was victorious. I didn't need nothing. <laughs> I was victorious. Sometimes you raise a hand because you give your friend a high five. Hey man, I just got that, I just got that new job. Yep. And you raise a hand. See, see, one-handed worship says, I have a need, but two-handed worship says, I've got victory. It's not just what God give me something, it's God, I already have something. Two-handed worship. I want you to know today that we don't just worship God when we need something. And if we're worshiping God when we need something, matter of fact, we're not really worshiping at all. When your child comes and asks you for water, they're not really worshiping you. They're simply turning their affection to you because they want to get something from you. At a primal level, that could be called manipulation. And a lot of us think we can manipulate God into giving us things. Well, well, I'm going to start coming to church. I'm going to start reading my Bible so that God will start being good to me. And that's how the gospel is preached in America today. Well, if you start doing things for God, God's going to start doing things for you. Let me, let me tell you, friend, you don't come because God's going to do something for you. He's already done something for you 2,000 years ago, and you better come for what you already got. Because when a test and trial comes, and you're going to say, well, I'm doing all the right things, and God's not giving stuff to me, that victory hand's going to come down. But if you've already got that victory, you already know, like Moses, I'm out in the desert, I ain't got nothing to drink, but praise God, I've already been delivered out of slavery. Guess what? I'm still going to hold on to that rod of God. I'm still going to hold on to that victorious worship. Worship doesn't just say, God, I need you. No, it also says, thank God I already have you. Thank God that you have me. In the midst of my messes, in the midst of my faults, in the midst of my failures, Jesus still has me, even in the midst of what I'm going through, even in the midst of my broken situation. God's still got a grip on me. You see, ultimately the staff wasn't that Moses was holding something, but that God was holding Moses. That God was holding Israel. That he was delivering Israel. His hand was on Israel. And the rod said, God is in control, not me. I mean, at the end of the day, he was holding up a stick. Do you know how goofy that looks? Imagine Spartan in the movie 300. He get up a mountain. He just holds a stick up in the air. Yeah! It kind of sounds silly. It was just a stick. But what did the stick represent? God's sovereignty over his people. That he is a deliverer. There are always two elements in worship. There is one element of intercession, which is asking God to supply need. And secondly, there's an element of deliverance, which is God has already set me free, free from sin, death, hell, and the grave. 
So I don't always stand before God because I have everything. If I have everything, I wouldn't still need Him every day. I still need God. That's one-handed worship. But praise God, I've already got victory. That's two-handed. You see, but here's what we do. We come to God with our needs first, and then we think after God supplies our need, then we'll get victory. Well, God, I need a financial miracle right now because if I don't get it, then I'm just not going to be able to buy that boat that I want really bad. I'm just not going to be able to buy that motorcycle I want really bad. And I see this attitude happen all the time. People say this. They think, well, I've got a job, I've got a house, I've got friends. God is good. People say this all the time on Facebook. Beautiful day with my family. God is good. Let me tell you, it's a God is good when you ain't with your family. God is good even if you don't have a family. He's good, like in the book of Job, even if your family passes away and you're the only one left. Let me tell you, we better praise God with or without or we're not praising at all. We say, God, thank you for my house. God is good. But let me tell you, if a tree falls on the house, God's still good. If the economy plummets and your job is lost, God's still good. We don't just praise God after he's blessed us. And then what happens is, oh, I got the blessing. Now I'm going to skip church for six months. That's one-handed worship. God's giving me my needs. <laughs> you know why it's funny? Because it's true. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that God whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts in our trial. You see, during the pleasurable times in life, you don't really need God. Because you've got everything. But let me tell you, somebody that hasn't got much, oh, they're going to walk with the Lord. Who's more blessed? Who's more blessed? The people in America that have, that have the, the four cars and the jet skis or the people in Haiti that literally have nothing, but yet they're worshiping God with everything they got. Who's more blessed? The prosperity gospel is, is garbage. God blesses you in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the desert. That's where you see God's provision, not on the mountaintop. Because let me tell you, on the mountaintop there came one thing, the law. But it was in the valley where God's provision came. God is not just good in the good times. No, he's better in the bad times because that's when you need him the most. But unless you already have him, Unless you already have that deliverance with the rod of God, you're never going to weather the storm when the storm comes. Because if you're worshiped with one hand and the storm comes, my friend, you're going to fall. There's no foundation. Worship says, God, I need you, but also, God, thank you. I have salvation. I have Jesus Christ. Worship looks at the object of deliverance. You see, Moses didn't lift up a crown. He didn't lift up a mighty sword in the air. He didn't lift up a battle shield so they'll say, oh yeah, we're mighty warriors. No, he lifted up a stick. But you know what that stick says? The Lord is my banner. Amalekites might think this is just a stick, but this stick delivered two million people. Mm. <laughs> it might just look like a piece of wood, but that piece of wood brought the greatest miracle in the Old Testament from a piece of wood which represents God's sovereignty. Worship is the opposite of what the world thinks victory looks like. Victory doesn't look like the big flashy army. Victory doesn't look like uh, uh, the, the high and lofty political throne or king. No, it looks like dependence on God. The stick means we're depending on God for this victory. 
And as long as he held it up, victory was with Israel. But whenever the object of deliverance was lowered, then the enemy gained on Israel. You see, my friends, that's why I'm saying two-handed worship says, God, I'm still in a battle, but I've already been delivered. My, my, my. Worship doesn't say God will deliver me. Worship says God's had delivered me, and I'm trusting in his ability, not my own. Because if God can bring me under the hand of Pharaoh, I'm sure he can deal with the Amalekites. If God can bring me through the 12 plagues and through the spirit of death that passed over the houses and deliver me, I'm sure he can take care of some water in the desert. Worship doesn't say, look what God will do. The worship says, look what God has done. It's because of what God has done that we can face tomorrow. It's because of what God has done through Jesus Christ that we say, thank you, Jesus. Not because of what we need, not because of what we want, but what he's already done is through the solid anchor in the gospel of Christ that has bought you and saved you what God has already accomplished through Jesus, that you can sit on that big rock. It says they rolled up Moses, they rolled up a big rock so that he could rest on a foundation. Because when the legs of our works give out, there's ultimately got to be a cornerstone that we're resting upon. And that solid foundation is the finished work of Jesus. And when we're seated upon that foundation, we can worship two hands all day long. Worship is a continual proclamation that God has won. You see, as long as he was holding up his hands, he was proclaiming God's already delivered us. God is the deliverer. But whenever them hands drop down, the enemy would gain ground. As long as the object of deliverance was lifted up, as long as the soldiers could look up on that hill and see Moses holding up that staff, they were reminded that God is a deliverer and he's continued to be a deliverer and he's always a deliverer. And yes, praise God, we're in the midst of deliverance. Then the, the people of God, we're winning. But see, the world waits till after the victory to celebrate. Worship says you can celebrate before the victory even gets here. Worship says you don't have to wait for all the other blessings. You already have the blessing in Jesus. <laughs> I don't have to wait for God to be good. I'm enjoying the goodness of God right now. I'm not looking forward to the end of the battle. Matter of fact, I'm having fun in the midst of the battle. Worship does not say, if I have a good week, then I'm going to go to church. Worship says, if I'm sick and everything goes wrong, I'm still coming to the house of God because God is in control. If everything in my life goes wrong after Jesus, praise God, the main thing's still right. And I can still show up for worship. Even if there's no food on the table, there's still food in my heart. If there's no water in the ground, there's still water on my spirit. When the trial comes, what separates the victorious from the victim is not religion, but ultimately worship. 
Because religious people will worship when the going's good. But let me tell you, when the going's tough, the only one that will stay is the true worshiper. Seated on the foundation. That's grounded on the solid rock. The one who continues to worship will always be declaring the victory against the enemy. My friends, we have to know two things. We have to know, I still need God. That's intercession, that's provision. But also, I already have God. And some people come to me, they say, Pastor Jesse, I just need to pray for this miracle. Pastor Jesse, I just need God in my life. And I want to say, friend, if you don't realize that Jesus has already given you access to God in your life, no preacher prayer is going to make it happen for you. I can splash holy water, and we don't even do that, but I can splash holy water or anointing oil all day long. It's not going to make you more, more spiritual unless you see the finished work of Jesus. I know we don't exist in a domination where we, you know, we have to call up somebody for an exorcism or something in our house if going wrong. Let me tell you, my friend, you don't need to wait for the preacher to show up to exercise your spiritual ability. You already have the victory. Somebody calls me and says, Preacher, I want you to talk to my kids about salvation. I'm going to say, I want you to talk to your kids about salvation. Because ultimately, if you don't know what you're talking about, they're just going to simply exist in that routine, lukewarm mediocrity that you've been existing in. And that's not producing anything. Ultimately, what we see is we see that Moses' hands were held up by two men in the story. One was Aaron, and the other was her. Now here you have the picture of Aaron, who is the spokesperson of Moses. He is considered a prophet along with Moses because he speaks on behalf of God. But also Aaron becomes the first high priest who is able to go into the throne room, who, I'm sorry, who is able to go into the Holy of Holies once a year and intercede on behalf of the people. So on one hand of Moses, you have intercession holding up worship. You have Aaron, who is the great intercessor, the first high priest. On the other hand, you have this guy named Hur. Now Hur's a pretty unknown figure. We don't know much about her. Except 1 Chronicles says that he was the father of a town called Bethlehem. He was the founding father of a town called Bethlehem. And what happened in Bethlehem was it was a shepherding village where for centuries and centuries they raised up lambs for Passover. They raised up lambs for the sacrifice. Her was a little poduck town, kind of like the ones nobody's heard about, like Stanfield. <laughs> or Big Lick. You know, you blink and you miss, you miss Big Lick. I came through Stanfield. I left the beach this morning at 3.45. Came through Stanfield about, oh, I don't know, about 7.30, probably 7.25. Nobody was in Stanfield. You can go down right now. Everybody's in church. You won't see nobody. That's like Bethlehem. Nobody knew about it except there's a bunch of shepherds, a bunch of old country boys raising livestock. (laughs) 
2,000 years later after her. There was a lamb born. And that lamb ended all Passover celebrations. Because that deliverance delivered once and for all a people from slavery to sin. So look at this picture. You've got Moses' arms being held up by Aaron who represents the priestly intercession and one hand being represented, held up by her which represents the deliverance of the Passover lamb. You've got intercession and deliverance holding up the two hands of a worshiping Moses. But thousands of years later, there was another battle. And there was another hill. And there was another leader who stood on that hill. And when his arms were tired, they were held by one nail of intercession and one nail of deliverance. Bless God, he couldn't put them down. He couldn't put them down. And you know, ultimately, what he was placed upon, a stick. You've got the victory represented in a stick carved from a tree, a wooden cross that's not beautiful, it's not pretty, it's not successful, it's not prosperous, but God's point of victory does not reign in the prosperous, it reigns in the humility of His Son, Jesus Christ. See, ultimately, we are saved not because of our worship, but because of the worship of Jesus. When he died on the cross, he was offering his life as a fragrant aroma to God. A pleasing sacrifice of worship. I was riding down to the beach a few days ago. I saw a church sign that says, are you pleasing God? Is God pleased by you? No, he's not. I can tell you he's not. Have you seen me lately? Have you seen you lately? Have you looked in the mirror? Is God pleased by you? The answer is no, but let me tell you, he's pleased by Jesus Christ. And unless you see that, you're living under works. He's pleased by the worship of Jesus Christ. In him, all our needs of intercession was met. In him, that one-handed need of worship was met. In him, that two-handed need of victory was met. And my friend, we can declare forever and ever and ever with our worship that thank God we don't have everything that we need. We still need him. But through Jesus Christ, I'm already victorious. Just a minute, we're going to have an invitation. Then we're going to have baptism. I'm going to pray. And let me tell you something. If God's moving on your heart, I want you to come forward. Pastor Dave's going to be down front. He's going to be down front to receive anybody who's following Christ this morning. If you're following Christ this morning, you're ready to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I want you to walk in the aisle, talk to Pastor Dave, and say, Pastor Dave, I'm becoming a Christian today. 
If you are a Christian and you're ready to get baptized, I want you to walk down and tell Pastor Day, Pastor Day, I'm ready to trust Christ. I'm ready to profess that through baptism to be a public worshiper of an almighty God. If you're looking for a church today, you come down, meet Pastor Dave. You say, Pastor Dave, I'm ready to join this fellowship of believers. We're going to pray. One of our musicians will come forward. We're going to have our time of invitation. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name, God, I'm thanking you for moving in a mighty way today. God, I'm thanking you that in Jesus Christ you have answered our need. But you've also given us deliverance. Father, I'm praying if there's anyone in the house of God today who is ready to trust Christ as Lord and Savior, Jesus, I'm just praying that they will walk that aisle and they will tell Pastor Dave, I'm ready to become a worshiper of an almighty God. I'm ready to become a Christian today. Maybe there's someone waiting to follow Christ through baptism who will come forward and say, I need to publicly let the church know that I want to be baptized so that we can schedule that baptism. Maybe there's a young person, an old person, a family looking forward to joining a fellowship of the believers that will walk forward today and says, I'm ready to be part of this church. I'm ready to worship in the house of God. I'm ready to be plugged in with a group of people who are walking on the path of Christianity, who will hold me accountable, who will encourage me. I want to join this fellowship. God, whatever you have to do, have your will and way in this place. Amen. Amen.